I mean, I feel like I call myself um, Pollyanna, but with a clipboard. You know, I'm just like, can we all just like love each other? But also, I've got a list of things to help us get there. <laughs> to hear the word lazy, you usually wouldn't consider putting it next to the word genius. But Kendra Dachi hopefully will change your mind about that. The lazy genius way. It's not about doing more or less. It's about doing what matters to you. And she's in the 32nd Book Club podcast this week. This book probably came from a, maybe a personal journey, maybe that we're all on. <laughs> Where did this come from? <laughs> Oh man, I, you know, I started out just trying to be all genius. Like that was the goal for a really long time. Like, let's just be really good at everything. And, uh, and that just doesn't really work because no one's really good at everything. But then also you get really, really tired. So I kind of started giving up then like, well, if I can't be great at like all the things, if I can't be the perfect mom and wife and have the perfect side hustle and PTA mom, like all the different things, then we'll just like not try anymore. And I found that that was also really exhausting because there were a lot of things I really care about and I want to put effort into and want to invest in. And so uh, I just got kind of tired of uh, hearing sort of these mixed messages of what it means to live well and uh, started to kind of ask questions and pay attention to other people. And and uh, and here we are. The Lazy Genius Way has been born. <laughs> And I think it's kind of interesting because you start at the very beginning. <laughs> I like how you put this because totally this is what I do. You see, in the introduction, you're like, please don't skip it. So <laughs> all right, everybody so, skips the introduction. Right, every like, single person. What's the point? What's the point of the introduction? Just go right. Get right to the, the thing. You know, and as somebody who's trying to be a lazy genius, you might think you want to skip it. So what are you trying to tell people right out of the beginning, right out of the, the, the gate out of this book? Yeah. The thing that feels the most important to me is th this this book was definitely written to women, but it is for men and women. And so the thing that I hear and see a lot in, especially like uh, mom groups in the mom culture, is that we are all kind of like comparing our success and failures to each other's and putting a moral judgment on our own choices based on the choices someone else is making. So we're kind of, we're kind of lining up our... Um, yeah, like what matters to us and our priorities and whether or not we make cupcakes for the class party or buy them from the store or whatever it is. We're always like gauging what other people are thinking about us based on those choices rather than just making choices that are best for ourselves, you know, and and how we're wired and what we're passionate about and not feeling like we're having to compare that all the time. And so ultimately, my uh, greatest hope with this book I want to give people systems. I want to give people tools to kind of build systems around what matters to them and be productive and be efficient and be lazy where they want to be. But really the underlying freedom that I want people to feel is that they can be sure of who they are, who they were made to be and what they're choosing without other people's choices having to speak into that so loudly and often ineffectively or lies as well. You know, we just, there are just too many messages and I just want people to feel confident in their own choices so that we can all like just be together living as who we are. Like, can't we, I mean, I feel like I call myself um, Pollyanna, but with a clipboard, you know, I'm just like, can we all just like love each other? But also I've got a list of things to help us get there. <laughs> and then, and hence, here we are, the lazy genius way. And I think it's interesting. So uh, jumping off of that, you know, the very first chapter, you're talking about, you know, you just, let's just choose things and do them. 
Uh, lazy genius principle number one, decide once. Why is that so important? How do we do that? Oh man. So I don't know about you, but like, I feel like we make a lot of decisions every day. There's just always something to decide. And right, right now, you know, we're all, so many of us are at home and there, it feels like there's so many more choices staring at us um, of how we're just going to live life regularly, what we're going to eat, what we're going to wear, if we're going to go anywhere, who we're going to talk to. Like they're just, there are even more decisions than there are before. And it's so easy to get overwhelmed by all there is to decide. And what that does is it takes energy away, mental energy in that, that brain space, that margin that we want so badly. It takes it away from things that actually matter to us because we're just putting out fires. We're just deciding the next thing that's in front of us. So the principle decide once is basically a tool that says, hey, listen, there are some things in your life that you're deciding every single day that you actually could decide once a week and be done or once a month and be done, or once just forever until it doesn't work anymore. So like an example um, in the book is, I have something called a Monday uniform. I just don't like having to figure out what to wear in the morning. Some people that doesn't stress out, it does me. And so I was like, what can I, how can I like, Monday mornings are the worst. And so I started to decide once every Monday, I wear the same thing. And it was amazing how much energy it gave me into other things. It just was like this weight off because I didn't have to think about it anymore. Monday morning, I was like, I know what I'm wearing. Here we go. So I'm not saying everybody should have a Monday uniform. But what I am saying is that there are so many things in our lives that we can decide one time and then never again. So I think this is that, and I'm sure you, you did this on purpose, right? You start with that. And then in the next chapter, you go right into saying, Hey, start small and things like, Oh, deciding what I'm going to wear on Monday seems like such a small thing. But wh- why is that one of the principles starting small? And how does that help us, you know, become a better, better person? Yeah. Well, dude. Okay. So I have built so many big machines in my life. You know, like I feel like January is obviously like our big machine energy time where we're like, all right, we're going to check off all of these things. These are all of our goals and I'm going to start journaling and I'm going to run and we're going to eat this. And we're going to, you know, like Mm -hmm. so many things that we're sort of building into our lives to sort of support this ideal life that we're after this optimized life that we're after. And it has never worked for me. I, it has never worked for anyone that I know. Like, I feel like big machines only work for people who have a dozen other humans who they pay to keep the machine going. <laughs> you know, like you have a trainer and a personal chef and like all these things like your machine's going to run great if other people are running it. But for just like the regular person who is just trying to go about their Tuesday, if we try and set up all of these things that we're going to follow through on day after day, we're not going to do any of them. And then we're just stuck. You know, like there were so, there were just years where I was in one place. I kept thinking like, I'm moving, I'm moving, I'm improving. I am um, becoming more of this person that I care to be. And, and that just wasn't happening because I was building it too big. But when we start small, when we start so small that we don't really even have a choice to move, we move. And even small movement is better than no movement. But we just sort of are seduced by like bigger and better, but it just doesn't work. Hmm. The thing I love about your book is it's got this great, you know, great, just simple life hack tips, you know, like that. Just tell me one thing to do. What do I do? <laughs> but then <laughs> let's, let's get a little deeper here. 
Lazy genius principle number three, asking the magic question. Well, the magic question is is one of the most magical things. The reason it's magic is because it can be used for things that are really, really deep, and it can be used for things that are really, really not. So the magic question is essentially, what can I do now to make things easier later? Now, you can magic question dinner. What can I do now to make, you know, getting dinner made easier later? You can pull chicken out of the freezer. You know, what can I do now to make uh, my work list, my to-do list easier later? I'm going to put a star next to the two things that really need to get done today. And if everything else does not get done, it's no problem. But I'm just going to make that mental note so that when I look at the list, I see what's important. But you can also magic question something like, what can I do right now to make my relationship with my my dad sort of easier later. Like I maybe maybe you are in a relationship with a parent that like isn't super great and the and the um you know the communication is hit or miss and you're just not really sure and maybe you're about to go travel to visit that family member, that parent. And you're like, all right, you're dreading it, right? And you can ask yourself, what can I do right now? They could actually help that be easier for both of us later. You can call them. You can call that parent on the phone and just be like, hey, I'm excited to come I'm excited to come next week. Is there anything I can bring you? So there's like a point of connection before you walk in the door and you haven't spoken in a month, you know, like it really can apply to anything. And the point is just to sort of be present and pay attention to the stress that you're feeling about something in the future. And just asking that simple question, like what one thing can I do right now to sort of make that feel easier later? So it can work from everything to from chicken to Family relationships. It's a pretty magic question. <laughs> and a lot of that, I was thinking as you're saying that a lot of those things I see, I know it's coming and I kick it down the road because I don't want to just rip that bandaid off. Which is why we start small, isn't it? Mm. Like that's why those two things hold hands so beautifully because you're absolutely right. We think like we want to give 37 answers to our magic question. Um, we want to just get it all over with. But then we don't do anything because getting it all over with or building it big or doing it all at once is overwhelming and paralyzing. And we almost always never actually do it. So that's why these principles um, are so impactful, like on their own individually. Like if you read one chapter and none of the other 12, uh, 13 principles, then you'd, you'd still be fine. Like it would still be really helpful. But as they hold hands, um, they become even more powerful because you just go like, oh, yeah, I'm going to start small. I can ask the magic question, but I'm going to start small doing it. I think one chapter that's going to really speak to people right now, and I know you wrote this book, what, maybe last year at some time, right? That's right. Pre-pandemic, right. for sure. <laughs> right. And then <laughs> you have a principle that's called live in the season. And so how yeah. do we do that in this season? <laughs> so this chapter, fun story, that chapter, Live in Your Season, was the hardest one to write because living in your season is hard. See, you know, like the reason that we even have to say that is because the season is hard. We don't usually like if someone is really celebrating the season of life where they're in, we're not just like, just live in your season. It's going to be, you know, like it's usually something that we say in response to a difficult season. And there are no easy answers to that. You know, like just saying it feels like you're just being kind of placating a person. I mean, like, I know it's, it's really hard and I'm so sorry. And that's, those are important words, but I wanted to offer something that had more 
meat to it. And, uh, and it was so, so difficult to write. And turns out, it's been the most impactful chapter for people as they're reading the book now in this season. Because if there was ever a time, like you said, where we need to live in our season, it's right now. So the idea basically is that when we, when we live in our season, we're not like just trying to like push through and ignore that it's really hard, you know, like just power through and like get it done and don't look back and not acknowledge the difficulty. But we're also not trying to like just wallow in the emotion of it and, and let it paralyze us because it's hard. Nobody wants to be immobilized in a difficult season. And so where's, where is the middle place? You know, we just, we just swing so extreme sometimes as humans kind of trying to find like, like sure footing. And so the middle ground of that, I think is seasons are really hard. And if we don't acknowledge the fact that the way that we're living right now is incredibly difficult, it is traumatic for so many people. It has changed their lives in terms of their livelihood. You know, people have lost jobs and lost family members and lost homes and even just, you know, we, we think too, that if you lose something as quote unquote, like simple or small as community, you know, like we haven't been to church with people in weeks and weeks and weeks. And you think like, well, at least I still have my job. And that's true. That's true. And good to remember that and be grateful for that. But also if we ignore the fact that it's really difficult to not live without the built-in community that we have had, that takes a toll on us. So living in your season is naming and acknowledging the difficulty of it and how you're feeling about it. But it's also trying to see that season through a lens of what can I learn here? Like, what is this season trying to teach me? What, what can I pay attention to and take with me as I move through it. It's not trying to jump over it. We're not trying to jump over the season or bury ourselves until it's over. We're moving through it and becoming like, not even becoming, like being more rooted in who we are as we move through it. And every single season has something to teach us if we just open our eyes and start paying attention. I've heard a lot, uh, especially in this season, (laughs) that (laughs) it's more important than ever to have routines because everything has just been thrown out of whack. And so if you don't have good routines, uh, you just, it's so easy just to kind of feel completely lost right now. So again, uh, these chapters, they all kind of seem to just really fall into place here. Next chapter after talking about the seasons is how to build the right routines. So can you give me a, just a, is there a good 30 second explanation of how to do that? Can you do that? Yes, I I can. Is that possible? Set the timer. Okay. Here we go. No. So basically, if we look at routines as the destination themselves, as I'm going to do one, two, three, four, five, done, that's my routine. The routine is not going to work. The point of a routine is where it leads you. If we change our perspective to routines being an on ramp, to something else, to um, being mentally prepared for work, being um, present with our mornings when we wake up, whatever the case may be. If we start with where we are wanting to go, with how we want to feel, the energy that we want to have in the room, what we want to be thinking about and focused on, if that is the goal, the routine itself is just like a stairway to get there. It's just one step at a time. And so honestly, the steps, like what the step is built out of 
it's kind of irrelevant. As long as it takes you where you're trying to go, then you're in good shape. It's not about drinking out of the same coffee cup every morning. It's about being present in the morning before everything begins. Mm. Was that 30 seconds? Yeah, I think so. You're pretty <laughs> close. I didn't set a timer for you. I didn't, I didn't want to stress you out too much. <laughs> no, that was great. Um, I think that something that's so important, again, this time, and I, I you know, as, as a Christian, you understand this, you know, this book was meant to be released for a time such as this. Mm-hmm. And yeah. talk about lazy genius principle number eight, letting people in. I think right now it can be harder than ever to do that. I, yeah. I've always, I've always kind of, you know, as a guy, especially it's, it's, it's tough to let people in. And I, and I haven't done that a lot since college. You know, I still mm-hmm. kind of, my best friends are pretty much from college and I haven't made one since <laughs> and then now, now I don't even talk to them because of everything that's going on. And yeah, so yeah. talk about that, the importance of letting people in. Well, we were, we were made to be in community. I think that's the most important place to start. And but but what has happened in, I think, living in, honestly, just like living in um, America and, and sort of the, the vibe of our culture is it's bootstrap living. It's you take care of yourself, you know, it's self-sufficiency. You don't need people. You do your own thing. There's so much independence. And while that's really important and, and good, you know, to a point, if we're not living in community, what, like, what is the point? It's how we're wired. It's just how we're made. And so one of the a simple place, I think, to start just mentally, because so much of this is about perspective. It's about just having a filter through which to see. And something I think is really valuable in letting people in is this. You do not have to be in crisis to ask for help. Because I think that's, that's what gets us is we can always find a reason to not let someone in, you know, this isn't as hard. This isn't as hard as it is for so-and-so, or this isn't really a big deal. The fact that I'm just feeling overwhelmed with my job and, um, and I just need somebody to kind of like dump words on, even though there's no solution. Like, I don't want to bother my friend. Let's fine. It's not that big of a deal. Like if we just keep, we just keep shrugging it off. It's not that big of a deal. But if we don't let people in when it's not that big of a deal, it's there's not really anyone there when something is a big deal. And so why not begin? And I realize the difficulty of this. It's it's challenging to be the one to go first, you know, to say like, hey, listen, I I mean, the times that I have said, um, I, re- I remember this so vividly. So I was pregnant with my third kid. I was exhausted. My kids were f- like six and four or something and I was pregnant and I was so tired. I was trying to start this, you know, this business and running a home and all the things. And I wanted a Burger King Whopper like my life depended on it. Like it was a desperate situation <laughs> and uh, pregnancy craving big. And it was in the middle of the day. And I thought, this is so silly. I'm not I'm not going to ask someone to bring me a Whopper like that is so crazy. But then I thought I told myself the sentence that I was like, Kendra, you don't have to be in crisis to ask for help. Like, this is okay. And I texted my friend, friend, Amy, who I hadn't talked to in probably four months, but she was kind of a neighbor. She's one of those friends that probably like your college friends that when you start talking, it's like, it's like no time had gone by. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I texted her and I was like, this is a weird question. I really want a Whopper. Can you bring me one? Immediate response. I'll be there in five minutes. Do you want a Dr. Pepper too? <laughs> it was like the most precious moment. I mean, that was five years ago. 
And I still remember it like it just happened. Because when we let people in without that desperate energy of things falling apart, like when they're really falling apart, like I say in the book, you don't feel badly asking a friend to watch your kids when you have to take your dad to chemotherapy. But you do feel badly asking a friend to watch your kids when you have anxiety and you just really need a nap. You feel bad. And so I just want us all to feel that permission to move into each into each other's lives, asking for help when it's not a crisis and offering help, even if we don't see a crisis to be like, hey, can I take your kids? Oh, no, I'm fine. Everything's fine. I know it's fine. But still bring your kids over. Go take an hour. Take an hour. We're doing whatever. I don't care. Like we don't have to keep. um moralizing those choices and like gauging whether or not they count enough. Just let people in. So speaking of, um, you were saying moralizing and another ising you talk about is essentializing. I thought this nice was segue. Andy, ah, that was good. Yes. <laughs> I've done this radio thing a little bit. I don't know. I tried. Maybe that was stretching a little bit. Uh, no, it's good. <laughs> um, essentializing. I think this kind of it it feels a little uh, kind of like you know the whole Marie Kondo thing, right? It does mm-hmm. is it that if it doesn't bring you joy, get rid of it. But it, it's kind of more than that too, right? It is more than that because a lot of things we don't know if they bring us joy or they <laughs> don't bring us joy, but you still have to do them. Bills don't bring me joy. Like, are you kidding me? But I still have to pay them, you know. <laughs> so it's definitely not uh, it's not that. But the idea is uh, similar in that you know the whole point of Marie Kondo is she's like, hey, let's. Get get rid of things that are just noise. You know, like why are we keeping things that don't support what matters? Now for her that language is joy, but that's not a that's not a word that resonates for everyone in everything. So the idea here of essentializing is that you are basically naming what matters. Um from a big perspective, like a big life perspective, like what's the purpose of my life, but that also can be very overwhelming. You could also apply this to your junk drawer in your kitchen. And go like, okay, what really matters here? What's the purpose of this drawer? Does it have to be perfectly organized? No, it's a junk drawer. That's what it's for. But maybe we can essentialize it by removing trash, (laughs) you know, by removing things that were once junk, but are now trash. Let's just get rid of the trash. You don't have to like go crazy with all these like dividers and color coordinating your pencils, just like throw away the trash. And now your junk drawer is doing its job. It's essentialized. It's supporting what matters about its its purpose, its singular purpose. So I think that it's such a great principle that you can apply. Yeah, in, in everything from your work. You know, I have essentialized my purse. I have essentialized uh, my relationship with like a, a long distance friend. You know, like if you're feeling really disconnected from someone and you're like, all right, what matters here? What matters is that that friend feels seen and loved by, by me. Okay, Uh, looking at stuff like leaving comments on on their Facebook posts is actually like just contributing to the noise. And maybe they're not actually seeing or noticing or feeling how deeply I care for them. So instead of commenting on a Facebook post, I could read that same Facebook post about like we went to the mountains this weekend. I'm going to text that friend and say, I saw you went to the mountains. I hope it was really special. You looked really happy. I miss you. You know, like naming what matters and kind of stripping away the noise so that you have the energy to focus on what's really essential. So in uh, the Lazy Genius Principle number 11, you talk about going in the right order and you say this is a this is a pretty big claim too. (laughs) any task 
from filling out a spreadsheet to having a hard conversation can be improved by following three steps. Those three steps are number one, remember what matters. Everything starts with that. That really is the first step in being a lazy genius. Because if you're the idea here is to embrace what matters and ditch what doesn't, you have to know what matters. You have to name what matters. So every single situation is kind of an invitation to ask that question. What matters here? Rather than just going through the motions. So this first step is to remember what matters. The second step is to calm the crazy. So, uh, you know, usually when we're like freaking out about something, the, there's crazy maybe visually, there's crazy in the the tangibles of the experience. Your desk is really messy. Um, your bathroom is really dirty, whatever it is. Um, and also your mental energy can be sort of crazy and distracted by your messy desk or your messy bathroom or whatever. So the second step is to calm the crazy. And then the third step is to trust yourself with what comes next. So, so often I think we just look for someone to tell us what to do. You know, we're just like, give me 10 steps, give me the big machine so that I don't really have to like, so it'll just all get done in one fell swoop. But then we don't do the 10 steps. We don't do them. And we're we're still stuck where we were before. And so I love this principle of going in the right order. And I really believe and have seen it happen that these three steps can truly make any situation better. So let's see. Do you want to... I'm throwing a curveball at you here. Do you want a lazy genius something real quick? Do you want to go in the right order with something and see if this works okay, sure. for you with these three steps? Let's, yeah. So I have to come up with something here. Uh, can you think of something? And it can be very, very small and it can be really, really tangible, but maybe like a space in your workspace or your home. Um, maybe it's a time management thing. Like what's something that sort of gives you like a like that nervous, frantic energy of like... Oh. I, I've got... I, I You know, as soon as you say... Okay. When, when you put it that way, the frantic energy. So... Um, I do an afternoon show. I get off work at six. So I go pick up my daughter from daycare. She's two. And then I go home. And so my wife has already gotten home from her job that's much more stressful than mine. So she just does not have the bandwidth to really work on dinner. Or That's just like the craziest time of my day. Getting home, it's not necessarily as relaxing as I want it to be. Yeah. Because there are so many things that need to be mm-hmm. decided and tended to, mm-hmm. right? Is mm-hmm. that okay? Yeah. So I, it sounds like, so if we start with remember what matters... It sounds like what you're wanting is for the family to like reconnect at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. you know, like you all want to come home and get home at the same time and be able to be like, Hey, how are you? And look in each other's eyes and not rush into like, is the chicken burning or somebody, you know, like all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's why. So step number two is calm the crazy. I wonder if, um, doing something and you can sort of think about like what in that, that time, those, you know, 30 minutes of getting home, like what is the thing that sort of um, creates the most kind of anxiety? Like, let's get this done. Is it dinner? Is it um, all the things everybody just brought home, all the book bags and the briefcases and, you know, all of that? Like, is there anything specific that is kind of creating that, that crazy energy when you get home? Uh, first thing I, 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 I always think, you know, I've got two young growing boys and I'm a uh, uh, older growing man. So food, it's always about food. So food, dinner, it's always food. <laughs> dinner's the first thing on my mind. Yes, I got it. Okay. So here's here. I want to suggest something to you and you can trust yourself. That's step number three. Trust yourself on whether this is going to work, if this will calm the crazy, but I want to offer a suggestion. You ready? Mm-hmm. So what if before you leave in the morning, you create just like on a plate, 
um, just like a little like snack snack tray. You put like cheese on there, you know, throw some strawberries, like whatever you have in your fridge. Like it doesn't matter. I call it a snack platter. Just throw anything on there. Now you're like, Kendra, we're about to eat dinner. But guess what? If y'all are all growing and you're desperate to get food, like food, food, gathering around food is like the most magical thing that people can do. So I wonder what would happen if you walked in the door and whoever gets home first or whoever thinks of it first is like, hey, guys, get the snack platter out of the fridge. And it just goes in the t- on the table on the kitchen counter while everyone is like putting purses and book bags away and getting dinner ready and setting the table. But there's sort of that like you're actually satiating yourselves physically, but also you're not panicked because everyone's starving because it's like a little appetizer tray, you know, like something really. I mean, it could be like cheese sticks. It could be pepperoni slices like it doesn't even matter what the, what it is. That's the whole idea of being a lazy genius anyway. It doesn't really matter what it is. Is it supporting what matters? And maybe that could sort of calm a little bit of that crazy. It's not going to fix everything, per, you know, perfectly. That's not the goal anyway. But it could calm some of that crazy when you get home. And you can just sort of like connect as you have like a little appetizer plate together and making dinner. And it just sort of calms everything down a little bit. Mm. I, I love it. Just saying the word calm just sometimes is, is, is calming. And, and I was just thinking about, <laughs> um, you know, you have so many great things in this book of things to do, to do, to do, to do, to do. And that's why it just seems almost counterintuitive that you have a section talking about now you need to, here's your to do. Don't do schedule rest. Yeah. Yeah. Well, resting is, is basically just a gift up to yourself to be full yourself. Um, I think that rest can often look, we think it's supposed to look one way. We think it's supposed to be like taking a nap or going for a quiet walk or, um, you know, sitting outside with a cup of tea or whatever it is. But rest is really to me, it's doing the thing that refuels you, that makes you feel more like yourself. So during this pandemic time, um, I have a couple of friends who are like really intense extrovert, not intense. That sounds like a negative way to say that. (laughs) Just very strong. They're very extroverted people. They love to be around people. And so this time of being quarantined at home and not really seeing anyone is exhausting them because they their energy comes from being with other people but also like you think that sort of riling up your energy like well that's the opposite of rest not if that makes you feel deeply like yourself like they're technically resting they're at home not really doing much and they're exhausted they don't feel rested they don't feel full they feel tired and empty because the thing that makes them feel like themselves other people is, has been taken away or has been changed pretty drastically. And so, um, so in some ways, the idea of like, we're doing all these things and then we need to rest. I think that we, we sort of like draw such a, um, such a strong line between doing and resting when really resting could also look like doing. It's just being specific about what that doing is. It is doing the thing that makes you feel like yourself. So, for example, whenever I talk about this, I, I inevitably have someone like, well, I don't really know what that means for me. Like, what makes me feel like myself? And then I will get messages from folks who are like, I found it. I realized something that was making me feel like myself. And I didn't know that's what it was, you know, making a cup of tea in the afternoon. For me, it's um, watching a thunderstorm roll in. Like, if I am watching a thunderstorm, I just feel so at 
at peace with who I am, um, with who I've been made to be. You know, there's this, uh, this aspect of, um, the grandness of what God has made and is like moving, you know, it's moving into the space in front of me. There's something incredibly centering and restful for me about watching a thunderstorm. Now, and there are other people who feel that way running through the woods, running as fast as they can. And that's restful. That's weirdly restful. But it's because we are doing the thing that makes us feel like ourselves and refueling so that then we can move into all those other things that maybe we don't love to do as much, you know, like like the bills and what have you. But we have the, the fuel and the energy to do them. Now, we've got a little over time. Do you have a time for one more question? I or, do. Oh, I absolutely great. do. Great. Because I think this is so important because you end with your final lazy genius principle. Uh, and this can be hard for all of us. I think maybe now because maybe we're a little more self-reflecting um, yeah. being in quarantine. <laughs> be, be kind to yourself. So I think the thing that is so hard about being kind to ourselves is that we hold the future ideal version of ourselves way too high. It is um, it is such a goal for us to optimize ourselves, optimize every minute of every day, optimize our bodies in the best way possible, you know, and that's just not who we're made to be. That's a, that's a robot. That's not a human with a soul. And so the gift of being kind to ourselves and the challenge of it too, because this is the, this is probably the hardest principle for, for me personally is to value who you are right now. Like to not put your today's version of you next to the ideal version of you in six months or a year and just be like, well, you're getting there, I guess, you know, like we just are, we're just not very kind to ourselves uh, on the inside. We don't, we don't treat ourselves the way that we would treat someone we love. And, and if we are made in the image of God, if we are made to be in community with each other, if we are made to value the unique expression of the Holy Spirit through each of us individually, why would we why would we be so unkind to ourselves? Like, what good does that serve? That is not how, that is not how God treats us. That is not how God invites us into a relationship with him to be like, be better, do better. You're almost there. You know, like, sure, there is definitely a process of sanctification, but that whole thing is just clothed. It is draped in grace because it's not about us. It's not about what we do. It's about what Jesus already did. And so the freedom of that allows us to sort of see ourselves the way that Jesus does, to see ourselves the way that the nurturing Holy Spirit does of like, I love you as you are right now. And that that's really all that matters. And so you don't have to have a relationship with Jesus for this principle to be a valuable one. Um, Cause I think we all really, really struggle with saying kind words to ourselves and telling ourselves the truth and, letting ourselves mess up and not seeing it as some like horrible judgment on our character till the end of time that we can value who we are right now in this moment and be kind to ourselves right now in this moment, not in some like settling way, not in some like, well, I guess like a true genuine 
kindness that we would extend to a friend that was sitting across from us in a socially distanced porch, you know, (laughs) having a conversation about something difficult. If they were talking about like the stress of their day and feeling like everything they do is just not enough for the people that they live with and really, really struggling, you are not going to say to them, well, there's this like seven step thing that you could try. You're not going to do that. You're not going to do that. You're going to say, I love you. I see you. That's really hard. And I'm glad you are the person that you are. That's what you would say. Some version of that. You're not going to like, you know, Jillian Michaels them into like (laughs) getting it together. You're not going to do that. So why do we do that to ourselves? So that is why that is the final principle in the book, because really it's kind of like if, if, if uh, naming what matters is sort of the engine of the movement, I think that being kind to yourself is like the structure of the whole ship or train or whatever vehicle has an engine. It's if we're not kind to ourselves, none of it matters. None of it matters. You've probably heard of the golden rule and followed it most of your life, right? Treat others the way you want to be treated. But Emily Golden says there's a new golden rule. It's treat yourself the way you want others to treat you. And when you do that, you'll learn how to embrace optimism, reduce your anxiety, exude empathy and achieve your biggest goals. And so uh, she's going to share more about her book in the 30 second book club podcast next week.